Well, I'm so glad that all of you are here with us today, and thank you for putting into practice what the Bible says. During that time when we were singing together, I couldn't help but think about that verse in the Bible, and this is what it says. Let us enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. That's what we were doing. Don't you agree? How many of you are familiar with that modern translation of that verse? Let us enter the theater with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So it's more modern translation, but you get the point. You know, during this series, we've been really honest with ourselves about how easy it is to cool down spiritually, turn up the heat. It's what we've been talking about because all of us knows what it's like. We all know what it's like to just sort of enter a place where maybe we become too casual or too comfortable about our faith. Maybe we even take it further beyond that where we just become really complacent. But probably most all of us, I know I have, and I would imagine that probably at least 98.7% of you have where you knew what it was like to give your life to Christ. You, you cross that line of faith. You open yourself up to God's grace and forgiveness. You intentionally decided that you were going to be a follower of Jesus until your dying day. But then gradually over time, and that's how it happens. It doesn't happen in a flash. It doesn't happen instantaneously. But gradually over time, you reach the point where you realize that you were not red hot. You were not blazing. You were not passionate. You are not as on fire for God as you once was. So in this series, we've been talking about how we can get heated up all over again. And that's what a lot of us are trying to do. You know, God, I just feel too cooled down. I need to turn up the heat in my spiritual life. And how, the, how does that become a reality? If you've been here with us during that series, <coughs> excuse me, during the series, you know that in week number one, we talked about one of the great ways that we can get heated up is a weekly commitment to church. And I was candid with you on that Sunday, and I mentioned to you that it really, the thing about that is uh, if you make, as Jesus, we said it was the custom of Jesus. We saw that in the Bible, that it was a custom of Jesus to be in the synagogue every Sabbath. Every seven days, Jesus was in church, and how that, that really helps to heat us up spiritually. Uh, I mentioned to you that, uh, contrastingly, if that does not happen, then you really move into a dangerous place where you're like, you become haphazard about it. And I'm just saying to you, friends, I mentioned this in week number one, that if anybody deserves the free pass, I don't have to go to church card, it would be Jesus. Because if you could look at anybody and say, well, they don't really need church. Well, Jesus didn't really need church, but he was there and it was his custom and how important it is. And if we're not in that habit, as Jesus was, is we really position ourselves in a dangerous place. But having said that, we said, if that is all we do, if we never do anything beyond that, you know, go to church every seven days, that that will heat us up, but it will not keep us at a heat that we need to consistently stay at. It will fire us up, as some of you feel even now, you know, on this seventh day. But how that, as we talked about last week, we need to integrate certain spiritual practices into our life. And if we do that, then that will really, these heat-building practices and habits, uh, if we engage in those, it just adds heat between, between the Sundays. And that's really important. We talked about that last week as I laid out for you what is a typical day, what would that look like, or, or what a potential day could become. Now, what I want to talk to you about this morning is another heat-building practice or habit that if any person will practice this, the heat is going to really begin to just, um, you know, become a reality in your life, and, and it maybe is one that you've not thought about before, and I think you're going to see it by the time we get to the end of this talk, and that is the heat that we get from other people. 
And that happens. You see, you and I, and we're just sort of building on this week by week. Every seven days, at least, we need to be in church. It heats us up. Well, between those seven days, we need these heat-building practices that we can do from the time that we get up. Little, I talked to you about that last week. Little tweets, little adjustments, little changes. None of them with mammoth, but all of them consistently put together can keep us heated up during the week. But there is another heat that you and I ought to take advantage of. It's what I'm going to talk about for the next few moments. In fact, I'm looking at my countdown clock. I asked the guys to put me on. I've got to do all of this in about 30 minutes and 53 seconds. And I believe I can do it. I really do. So here's what we're going to do is the heat that we get from others. Now, some of you know, in fact, most of you know, that I love watching football. I I really love it, especially college football. And so not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, there was the first round of the college football playoffs. And it just so happened that God's favorite team was in that game playing Oklahoma. If you don't know that team, God will speak to you at some point. If you don't, you can come see me. I'll, I'll let you in on that. But, you know, so I went out knowing that, you know, we were going to have people at the house. We we're going to have a great time. So I went out, bought hamburgers to put on the grill, some brats and all of that. And so I had this thought, I don't keep a charcoal grill at my house. I have a gas grill because it's quick and it's convenient and it's easy. But Drew, our youngest son, had brought his over during the holidays because of a meal that we made. And so his big charcoal grill was still there. And I had this thought, well, it seems to me at least that the food off of a charcoal grill always seems to taste better than a gas grill. So I thought, I'm going to cook all of this on a charcoal uh, fire. And so I put it all in. I would not done this for some time, but I vaguely remembered I built the pyramid just right of, of the charcoal, and I soaked it down really good, and I, I put the, the um, match to it, a lighter thing to it, and got it started, and I'm watching it for a few moments, and, and I'm like, you know what? Is it really going to take? Is it really going to heat up at all? I wasn't quite sure because it had been a while since I'd done that, and I'm going to walk away. And, and gradually, each time I would come back, it was a little bit hotter and a little bit hotter, and then I stood there watching it as it heated. I'm so excited about this meal. And on this particular game, the, f- the food set really right with me after I ate it. It was the food I had at the Nets game in the championship that just gave me a terrible, uh, you know, heartburn. It just... That game didn't, didn't go well, so that food didn't sit right. But on this time, you know, I'm looking at the charcoal, and I noticed something, and it's so true. And I had this thought, that is how life is. And I looked, and the hottest coals in this entire char- charcoal fire were the coals that were in the epicenter of all of the activity. You see, I was looking at the coals on the outside, just sort of on the periphery of the heat, and they weren't getting gray. They, they didn't have that reddish amber about them. They just seemed to be cool. In fact, I didn't try it, of course, but I wondered if I could have put my finger on just those outside coals, and maybe I could have just touched them momentarily. But the heat was in the middle. The heat was in the middle of all of the activity, and that is how our lives is. And I had that thought, you know, when we're in the middle of God-ordained, you know, settings, heat from others, man, there's just something about that that is undeniable. Now, I want to just speak to this for just a moment, and then I want to get really, really practical with you. And I want to do that by saying many of you have never really experienced the power of God-ordained connectedness. I, I don't mean that negatively. I don't, that is certainly not an insult. It's, it's just a reality for most all of us that we've never really entered into the power of connectedness as God intended that it would be. And again, I'm not saying that you're without friends. 
I'm not at all saying that you aren't well-known. I'm sure you are or that you're a loner. I'm not saying any of those things. What I am saying is most of us never take the time and we never really make the sincere effort to become a part of the power of connectedness as God intended it. I read this statement recently. It says that some studies have shown that social media technologies like Facebook, I don't have a problem with Facebook, I'm just reading this, that some social media technologies like Facebook create the illusion of connectedness without actually providing any of the vital depth and meaning found in real relationships. And that happens. And a lot of people feel like, well, you know, I'm connected online, you know, social media, and I have a lot of friends and, and all of this, so I'm really socially connected. But it's all, it's all just technology. And it's not the depth, it's not conversations, it's not meaningfulness as God intended. And then a book which I read last summer, I found this statement and I brought it with me today. I think it will make a lot of sense to you. An academic journal called the Journal of Happiness Studies. How many of you did not even know there was a journal of academic of happiness studies? Published studies using the roots of research to identify what makes human life flourish. When researchers, listen to this now, when researchers look at what distinguishes quite happy people from less happy people, one factor consistently separates those two groups. It is not how much money you have. It is not your health. It is not your security. It is not your attractiveness. It's not your IQ or even your career success. What distinguishes consistently happier people from less happy people is the presence, listen to this now, of rich, deep, joy-producing, life-changing, meaningful relationships. Now, that's what we need to talk about, getting some heat from other people. And there's some temperature level that you and I are never going to be able to get to and stay at consistently without drawing from the heat of others as God intended. And as the Bible talks about, quite a lot, quite a lot. Now, obviously, the spiritual temperature of your life gets heated up, as we talked about, during a weekly commitment to be in church. And then when you do integrate some of those good practices into your daily life, then the reality is that's going to heat you up. But connecting with a small group of people, friends, is just one of those heat-building habits that you cannot afford to neglect in your life. And in the balance of our time, I want to mention several reasons why. In fact, I'm going to give you five, and I want you to be sure you get them down somewhere. Your phone, your tablet, just get them down. Five values that flow out of when we make ourselves accessible, really, to heat from others in smaller groups. Number one, here it is. You need someone in your life that you can be real with. You need somebody in your life that you can be totally real with. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Do you know that it's not just on Halloween that people wear masks? People wear masks all of the time throughout the entire year. And some of you have mastered the ability of wearing a mask. I can do that quite well myself. I mentioned to you, and if you were here a couple of weeks ago, January the 7th, I mentioned to you on, on that day that, uh, you know, it was the day that my, my mom had passed away. And, you know, a year ago, 12 months ago on that day, January 7th, that my mom had passed away. And so I sort of carried that, quite honestly, into the service with me. I didn't want it to impair upon what my fundamental responsibility was to deliver to you, the talk that God had put on my heart. And, but I was thinking about that, and if you were here last week, you know that I was unable to tell you on that day that just before I came into the 930 service, I'd gotten a call from my sister 
that my grandmother, my mother's mother, my grandmother had passed away on that same exact day as my mom, 12 months later to the day, about four hours apart. And I couldn't talk about that because I've got relatives that are missionaries in other part of the world, and, and we wanted them to hear it personally from us rather than it get out and like, you know. And so I, I couldn't share it. But uh, I put on, I think, a pretty good mask. And I could talk about it. I wanted to talk about it. I couldn't talk about it. And I just had on that mask a couple of weeks ago now, the mask that everything is incredible in my life. But it really wasn't. And I'm like you. And we all know how to put on masks. We do it all of the time. And a lot of times we're just so terribly afraid to let people know and see the real us. And sometimes we have these irrational thoughts. We're like, and I hear people say things like this all the time. Well, you know, I can't let people see me the way I really am because if I allow people to see me the way I really am, they may not like me. So we put forward the false who we are. And we think, well, they're going to like that person better than they're going to like the real me. Or people will think, I hear this all the time, if I, if I become vulnerable and open, if I let people see the real me, they're, they're going to think that I'm a phony. Now, let me give you some insight into that. People already know your life is not perfect. They already know that. So when you pretend that your life is perfect, when your life is not, that is the phoniness therein. And a lot of times we just say, well, if I just let people really into my world, let them see the real me, they're going to think I'm a phony. No, you know what they're going to think? They're going to think you're authentic and real and a human, by the way. People are like this. Well, if I let my guard down, I'm going to be rejected. All right, here's a biggie. If it is this, I'm too proud to admit that I'm struggling. I can't admit I want everybody to think that I've got my act together. And you know what I know? I know this about every one of us in this room. There is something in every one of our lives that is not working quite right, but it's hard to admit it. It's hard to admit that we've got problems. It's hard to admit that we have challenges and struggles. But all of us need to do this. And really the value of getting into a smaller group, some things happen in the dynamic of a smaller group that can never happen in larger groups. And that is we get the opportunity to be real with people. In fact, I want you to take a look at this verse up here on the screen. It's a famous verse out of the Bible. And it says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. And you know, I know a lot of Christians that do really good on the second part, but they don't do too good on the first part. Because they want everybody to think their life is perfect. There's no struggles. There's no problems. There's no fears. There's no worries. There's no doubts. And I want to get really practical. And I see that verse and you see it. The guys, if you could put it up on the screen for just another moment. Go back to that for just a second. Look at it again. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. But there's a practical reality concerning this. And I just raise it in the form of a question. Here it is. Should you confess your struggles to total strangers? Of course not. Is it advisable to get real and become vulnerable in a large group setting? No, you shouldn't do that. It would not be socially appropriate, nor would it be psychologically healthy. In fact, if some of you just felt right now suddenly inspired and you're saying, hey, Jeff, I hear you. I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to stand up and confess my sins and struggles right here in front of everybody. I would say, please don't do that. Sit down, please, 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 please. Don't do that. We can do that later. However, Having said that, there are so many blessings to having one or two people in your life that, you, that will allow you to take off your mask, who will hear you and will love you and will support you through your struggles and through your sin and through your pain. 
And you need a person like that or two. You don't need a lot of people like that, but you just need somebody in your life that will remind you, listen, friends, that God's mercy and God's grace and God's forgiveness flows toward anybody who will truly confess and repent. And that never happens in a larger group. It never does. And, and you may find, and I'll just, again, uh, a practicality right here. If somebody gets up the nerve to come and, and they, they know you and they like you and they believe in you and they come to you and, and they want to be honest and they want to take off their mask, they want to be transparent, they want to be vulnerable, it's really, really important how you react to them. If you react in shock, like they just, they just get vulnerable and they take off their mask and, and they just, you know, want some help and, and they just share with you their struggle and you just act like, what did you just say? I can't believe it. You can't, you can't be serious. Well, you're going to shut them down. Or if you enter into harsh judgment, if you sit on a perch of self-righteousness as though you've got your act together totally and completely yourself, you're going to turn, turn them away. And so everybody... It's the first thing, uh, really a first value that flows out of getting into smaller settings is because all of us need someone in our life that we can be real with. Secondly, you need some tailor-made guidance that comes from God. I hope you get that down. You need some tailor-made guidance that comes from God. Now, have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt that it would greatly simplify your life and decisions if God would just give you a call? Wouldn't that be nice? Have you ever just wished that you could open up your email and you notice the subject line said something like direction or wisdom, and then you notice that the sender was God and it was a message to you? That if God would somehow give you a call, send you an email or text message, or better yet, wouldn't it be wonderful if God would just write it in the sky and at the beginning there would be our name and then the help of wisdom, the guidance, and then beneath it it would be signed God? God could do any and all those things, but for whatever reason, he chooses not to do those things. And I'm not going to talk about it this morning, but I think part of it is to help expand our faith. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, I want you to look at these two verses on the screen. Look at these verses, really important. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean, do not depend, do not trust on your own understanding. Seek God's will in all you do, and I love this part, and God will show you which path to take. You see, when you're in a large group setting like right now, you're going to be on the receiving end of what I would call some generalized guidance. And that happens any time that you come together in a larger context and the Bible is taught accurately. You hear something from the Bible. You see a verse from the Bible. You hear a teaching from, the pas from a passage in the Bible. And that provides you with something that is invaluable. It gives you some general guidance in your life. And then as we talked about last week, you get, get along with God and you become engaged in these private spiritual practices like we talked about. And then guidance from God may be a little bit more personalized in your life, a little bit more personalized guidance. But what all of us need, and I want you to hear when I say this, but what all of us need from time to time is some spirit-prompted, biblically reliable guidance that comes from somebody that has skin on them and a voice that is easily discernible. Proverbs eleven fourteen. look at this verse on the screen. There is safety in having many advisors. And I just have to ask you that question. Do you have any advisors in your life? Are you on your own? Are you making some of the biggest decisions of your life in a vacuum? 
Are you just saying, I'm just, you know, I don't really know what to do and I've got to decide something and you just snatch a thought out of the air? I encourage you not to do that. The Bible says there is safety when you get together with many advisors. And do you have anybody in your life like that? Anybody that you know and love and trust and you know that they know and love and trust you? Bible says there's some safety in that. And you're never going to get that in a larger setting. You're not going to be able to stand up. It's just not designed to be that way where you'd stand up this morning and say, hey, everybody, I've got a really major decision I need to make, and I'd like the feedback of all of you. You'd walk out of here so confused. You'd be as confused as somebody said as a termite in a yo-yo. You wouldn't know what to do. Thirdly, you need loving people to mirror back to you the truth about you. Uh Uh-oh. Now you're like, hey, now he's getting too close to home. You need loving people to mirror back to you the truth about you. Now, how do we know that this is something that we need to do? Just check out these two verses, two really, really important verses. This is out of James chapter 1. If you listen to the word but do not put it into practice, you're like people who look in a mirror. I want to go with that for a second, but I don't want to start any trouble this morning. Uh, who look in a mirror and see themselves. Some people like looking in a mirror. Hold on. And see themselves as they are. They take a good look at themselves and then go away and at once forget what they look like. They walk in front of a mirror and they look at the mirror and maybe, I hope, they like what they see and then they walk away and James said they forget what they look like. And what is he talking about? He's talking about people who just hear the word but they never put it into practice. It's never mirrored back to them. I think about this often because I work really, really hard and gladly do I do so on these talks that I give every Sunday here. And then I wonder sometimes, how many people take it beyond their car after they leave the parking lot? How many people have forgot half of what they've heard even before they put their hand on the door handle of their car? I hope not. Now, let's gather some clarity on this before we move on to the fourth one, namely that this, what we're talking about now to have people mirror back to us the truth about us, that's not even possible in a large group setting. But it is also, let me add this caveat, it is also ill-advised to play out with those lacking spiritual maturity or those who may have selfish or shrouded motives for your life. How many of you know some people have plans for your life and it's not always God's plan for your life? Or people who are unproven in the arenas of love and compassion. If somebody is going to mirror back to you, friend, it is so important. And that needs to happen. The truth about you, you need to be sure that it's somebody that has a high level of spiritual maturity. They don't have to be perfect because nobody is perfect. It doesn't need somebody that has this selfish agenda for your life. It doesn't need to be somebody that, you know, is high on judgment and low on love. And I've just got to ask you in this regard as well, do you have anybody like that in your personal world? Somebody that will hold up a mirror to you, a mirror for you to look at, a person or two in your life that you find in the context of a smaller group that you could safely and confidently ask them. You could say something like this, you know me well, and I trust you. And because of this, it would be incredibly helpful to me if you could give me some feedback and help me to assess my strengths and my weaknesses, what they appear to be. Some value in that, friends. Just have somebody that, that you can trust and you know that they love you and, and that they're going to make decisions and they're going to give wisdom and help in ways that are going to be what is best for you, not what's best for them. Then they're not going to try to come off smug or sanctimonious. There's value in that. To have somebody, and that can't happen in a larger group. It's impossible. But to have some people that can help you to see the truth about you. 
And when they speak, you ought to listen. If you know and love and trust them, they know and love and trust you, then these are some people, and they have spiritual maturity, and they have love, and they have compassion. You need to listen to some people like that. It'll really help you. You're not going to find that in a larger group. It's just not even conceivable. You've got to get in a smaller setting. Here's another reality that can only happen in a smaller group, and that is you need someone to hold you accountable to what you need and want to do. Accountability really matters. I've read a lot and thought a lot about accountability, and I think one of the best definitions I've ever seen, and I brought it with me here today, is this one. Accountability is inviting someone to help me to do what I sincerely want to do but cannot do it on my own. Why do you and I need accountability? Because somebody can help us. And again, it's got to be the right person, but somebody can help us what we fundamentally want to do, but we just can't do on our own. Can I just say this? There are some of you that there are some things in your life, some good that you want to do, but you have not yet done it and you can't bring yourself to do it. And could you have done it on your own? Guess what? You would have already done it by now. But you need somebody to help you to be accountable, to help you do the good that you really want to do. Uh, In an adverse kind of way, Sort of contrastingly to that, there may be those of you that you just say, you know what, I've got some habits and I've got some struggles in my life. I've got some patterns, some sin issues in my life that, that I really, I probably ought to set aside, but I don't seem to have the power to do so. And uh, reality is, could you have done it on your own? You would have done it by now. Probably need somebody to help you. Someone has written this, accountability makes the difference between what you say you want to do and what you you actually do. And without it, God's dream for your life will always remain just that, just a dream, never a reality. Now, before we move on to the final one, because time is flying by this morning, just a couple of quick but important thoughts regarding accountability. And you'll want to be sure you get these down. Accountability, accountability should always be invited accountability should always be invited. And let me, and I'll just be, uh, again, mega, mega practical here. If somebody comes to me uninvited, somebody comes to me and they are really excited about being my accountability partner, time out. Not interested. If somebody's like, hey, I am so fired up, I'm going to help you to stop doing everything you need to stop doing, and I feel appointed by God to help you to do all the good you ought to do, and I'm really fired up about holding you accountable, they're a lot more fired up about it than I am. I'm not interested at all. Accountability ought to be invited. How many of you are with me on this? Wave at me if you get it. It ought to be invited. Uh, Furthermore, it needs to be intertwined with encouragement and support. There's a reason the Bible says the truth ought to be spoken with love. It's not one or the other. It's both and. If somebody, if all they can give, if you've invited somebody to hold you accountable and all they can speak is truth and they don't have any love, that's not going to help you. Probably beat you down. Now, you need the truth, but you need it in love. On the other side of that equation, if you've got somebody that holds you accountable and all they are is love and they don't have the courage to speak the truth to you, that's not going to help you very much either. So accountability is something that we invite and somebody helps us to do 
what we really want to do, but for whatever reason, we cannot do it on our own. And we invite somebody into that. And we invite somebody that can balance both, you know, love and the truth. Speak the truth in love. Intertwine with encouragement and support. Now, lastly, you need somebody in your life that can help you to receive what every heart is craving, and that is love. Everybody needs love. If somebody says to me, well, I don't really need to be loved, I'm, li- I'm just telling you, I'm just plainly speaking it, I don't believe them. I think they're either being one of two things. They're either dishonest or totally delirious, one of the two. Somebody says, I don't need to be loved, I don't want to be loved, they're not being truthful or they're out of their mind. Everybody wants to be loved. And you can be in church every seven days, as was the custom of Jesus, and then drive back home and still be longing for love. You can be totally consistent in your devote and devoted to your daily spiritual practice and still have a love-starved heart. But when you decide, please hear me, friends, to really connect with a small group of people who are encouraging and affirming and loving, then it meets that deeply embedded need that all of us have, the need to feel loved and cared for, and everybody needs that. And you just can't get it in a bigger setting. You can feel loved, but to really be loved, to really be cared for in the way that God designed it to be, can only happen in a smaller context of reality. There's a book that I read. It's been over a decade ago now, so I'm not even certain that this columnist works for the Chicago Tribune anymore, but I want to just read to you what I saw in a book, again, I read some time ago. Chicago Tribune columnist Marla Paul confessed in print a few years ago, and this is what she wrote. She said, I am lonely, and this loneliness saddens me, she wrote. How did it happen? How did it happen that I could be 42 years old and not have enough friends? She asked her husband if there was something wrong with her. She wondered if people were just too busy for friends. It seemed as though, she says, every woman's friendship quota had been filled, and she's no longer accepting new applicants. She wondered if perhaps there are any women out there who don't know how lonely they are. It's easy, she writes, to fill up the day with work, but that's not enough. And then she concluded this particular column by saying this. She said, I recently read my daughter, Han Christian Anderson's The Ugly Duckling. She said, I felt immediate kinship with this bird who flies from place to place looking for some creatures with whom he belongs. He eventually finds them. I hope I do too. She subsequently wrote another column about how this struck an unexpected nerve with so many people. She said, people stopped me at work while I was shopping at my daughter's school. You too, they would say, I thought I was the only one. Letters came in, she said, from homemakers and CEOs. This column elicited seven times her usual amount of mail, and the letters all had the same theme. Why do I feel so lonely? Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to make good friends? If loneliness... Goes on to say, if loneliness is common for women, it is epidemic among men. One survey indicated that 90% of the male population in America lack a true friend. But we prefer not to talk about it. No one wants to admit they're lonely, writes psychiatrist Jacqueline Olds, because loneliness is something people typically associate with losers. And so people just keep feeling lonely and unloved and uncared for. And again, that's the value of getting a smaller group where you can know and be known, where you can love and be loved, where you can care and be cared for. And God has wired up every single person, every one of you right here in this theater, 
where you need love. And again, I wish it could happen in the dynamic way that it ought to happen in a larger setting. It just doesn't. It happens when you get in smaller groups. Now, by now, you know that I want to push you to become involved in this next semester of small groups. You know that. But I do want to be candid. I do want to be forthright. I, do, I, I don't want you to live in a place or, or sign up for a group and just think, hey, I am signing up for a group, and you have frivolous ideas that you're going to love, 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 dearly love everybody in your small group. You're going to have to love them enough to get into heaven. That's a done deal, I'm just telling you. That you got to do. But you're not. I don't want you to walk in there with a false idea that everybody in your small group you're going to immediately feel this kinship with. You won't. In fact, I mean, can I just be real plain? I'm taught, vulnerable, open. There may be some people in your group you don't even like a whole lot. There may be some people in your group that you pray, Jesus, please help them to never corner me, ever, ever, ever. Never corner me. See, small groups are not perfect. In fact, I heard it said, I'm not the originator of the thought, but it made a lot of sense to me the first time I heard it a number of years ago, that in every group there's somebody, and let me just put it as kindly as I know how, in every group there's somebody that just needs a little extra love. And if you say, well, I've been in a lot of groups, And I've never been in a group where there was anybody in the group that needed an extra little bit of love. Then that means it was you. I hate to tell you that. It was you. So I don't want you to walk in with a frivolous idea that you're going to feel immediate kinship with everybody. You're not. Do you know what I believe can happen? And if it doesn't happen in the first time you try a small group, maybe not even the second, this is what I believe. And I pray that it will be sooner the sooner the better, that there'll be somebody in that group that you'll connect with and you'll like them and you'll want to spend time with them and you'll get to know them and you'll develop a bond and a kinship that you can do the very things that we've talked about today. Somebody that you can know and be known by. Somebody you can love and be loved. Somebody that will mirror back to you the truth about who you are. Somebody that will hold you accountable to some things you want to do. And everybody needs these kind of things, these five things I've talked about, but unfortunately, not everybody takes advantage of them. And I've heard all the reasons. I've heard all the excuses. I've heard one of the primary ones. I would get involved in a small group, but I'm too busy. Join the rest of the world. Everybody is too busy. John Maxwell said it well. The world is run by tired people. It is. But you need it. Some of you actually need to be leading a group. Because God's done something special in your life. And you don't have to stand up and give a talk like I've done this week. You don't, you don't have to, you know, write out a lesson. You just got to open your home and love the people that come into it and guide in some questions that are provided for you or pop in a little DVD that will do the teaching for you. And then just love and care. And a setting like that can only happen in a smaller setting. God will do amazing things. In your bulletin today is one of these cards. If you fill out the card, we'll help you to find the small group. They're getting started right around the corner.
You can fill this out today, and it would just take you two minutes, and you could check uh, among about 12 categories. What category best fits you? And then the location, what part of our local community would you most like to be in? And then you just put your name and your phone number, your email address on there. If you're married, you can put your spouse's name, and you can just take it right out to the information table and give it to them. They'll put it in a box. So I'll take it back to the North Campus, and there'll be people that will communicate with you and help you get signed up in a small group. Or you may say, we'd rather get the help of a small group. I'll, I'll just wait until they come out in all groups and probably be 80, 85, 90 or so small groups that will be listed. You can go online and you can look at your own and you can find it. You can select it, sign them right up online. But you do it, and I'm telling you, there's a heat that comes from other people that will help you to move off the dial of coolness in your spiritual life. Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? God, thank you so much for this day. We know that we need to be in your house every seven days. We know that there are daily spiritual practices, private practices that keep us heated throughout the week. But all of us need to be involved in a smaller group. We need people in our life that we can take our mask off and be real, talk to them about our pain, our struggles, our sin. We need some tailor-made guidance in our life, God, where we just get to know somebody and we trust them and they're mature and they love us and want to help us and we can just say, help me to know. Pray with me. Pray that God will reveal to me. We all need loving people to mirror back to us the truth about who we really are, not the facade of who we think we are, but who we really are. We need people to hold us accountable because there are certain things that we want to do that we've never been able to do on our own. We need people, God, will love us because all of us crave to be loved. I pray, God, that we'll never offer up all the many reasons that people often do for why they can't be involved in a small group. But you'll just use it to heat them up and bless their life and in turn let them be a blessing with those they come in contact with. All these things we ask in your name. And everybody said, amen. I love you. You don't want to miss next week. I encourage you to be here. Love you, everybody.